Hello, listeners. I am David Blakesley, and this is episode 111 of Criterion Reflections, a podcast going through the Criterion Collection in chronological order of original release. And we are, of course, in 1972, and May of 1972, to narrow it down just a little bit. And somewhat coincidentally, uh, this film that we're going to talk about today, Maurice Pialat's uh, We Won't Grow Old Together, is an award winner from the twenty from the 1972 Cannes Film Festival, uh, in which the lead actor here, Jean Yan, is his name. He won the uh, Best Actor Award at that year's festival. And that follows up our previous episode, episode 110, in which we talked about Robert Altman's images. Uh, that film also featured a Cannes Award winner for Best Female Actor, uh, that being Susanna York, who played the role a woman kind of enduring kind of a schizophrenic uh, breakdown in her mental health, leading to hallucinations and killings that may or may not have happened and a tragic uh, uh, conclusion at the end there. So uh, it wasn't really planned that way, but we've got a couple of uh, award winners from Khan from 1972 for the best lead performances from male and female actors back to back here on this uh, episode of my podcast. Uh, but, you know, what kind of is also another common thread is that both images and this film, We Won't Grow Old Together, no longer appear on the Criterion channel, but they did once upon a time. And as I looked it up, I found that back in 2020, I think it was the summer of that year, uh, the Criterion channel had a bundle of Maurice Pilat films. And uh, that's how this one kind of got into my timeline. And so I'm uh, very eager to get into it, even though it's not available maybe as conveniently for streaming purposes. It is available on a pretty nice Kino Lorber Blu-ray, which is what I'm watching. And uh, so I do recommend it, but we'll go ahead and talk about the movie and Maurice Pialat and why I decided to get this one in on the show as we uh, as we delve into the details here. But first, let's introduce our guests, uh, Jason Beamish. Jason, hello, and welcome back. Hello, thank you for having me. All right, it's a, it's a nice sunny day for you down there. You're a bit to the south of me, and yeah. it's a nice bright uh, winter's afternoon here in Michigan. Uh, let's check in across the pond with David Seeley. David, how's it going for you today? Hi, guys, how are you doing? Uh, nice, to, uh, nice to talk to you again. Yes, now it's uh, evening over your time over there in England, is that correct? It, it is indeed. It's just gone 8 o'clock p.m. So, All right. Yeah. It's so, a nice, very mild uh, mild uh, winter at the minute, so it's quite well, cold. Well, good. More. So yeah. we're, we're all kind of, uh, you know, basking in a little bit of comfort here uh, <laughs> in a film that is basically pretty uncomfortable <laughs> in terms of what it's depicting. Uh, so let's go ahead and just get into it a little bit here. Uh, we Won't Grow Old Together from 1972 was the second feature directed by Maurice Pialat. He is a director, even though this is his second feature film, uh, he was far from a youngster. He was already in his like mid to late 40s, I believe, when this film made its premiere. It was a commercial success. It somehow caught on with the French viewing public of the time. And I'm kind of curious to hear your guys' thoughts about what made this a popular commercial success because there's there's a lot about this film that I would say is not really uh, what I think of as a crowd pleaser, but maybe audiences were different back then. Uh, Pialat got his start uh, as a filmmaker uh, a little bit later in life. Uh, he had been a painter apparently and was just kind of, uh, you know, interested in, in the visual arts, uh, was kind of a contemporary of the new wave, but didn't really fit into that camp and so uh one may wonder you know what is it that makes him a, a director of note why would the criterion channel put this bundle of his films out there um because he i think produced 10 feature films in his lifetime he passed away some years ago um and is seen as somewhat influential even though he may not be a real familiar name even to a lot of regular listeners to this show uh, he's got a couple disc releases in the Criterion Collection. Uh, his first film, uh, L'Enfance Nue, or Naked Childhood, uh, is a, a DVD and also a Nosa Moore, uh, which was the uh, 
Sandrine Bonaire's uh, screen debut. She's a pretty prominent French actress. That was from the early 1980s. That was his first Criterion DVD release. But none of them have come out on Blu-ray. And like I say, he's still a little bit in the shadows there. So um, let's just talk a little bit about maybe our experience with this director. Jason, let me just ask you, um, you know, are, are you very well well versed in the career of Maurice Piala? And if, if so, tell me about that. And if not, uh, then that maybe let me know what interested you in uh, guesting on this particular episode. Well, I have no experience. Okay. Um, just, it's one of those, there's so many things that one could watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what made me want to guest on the show is that, um, I often feel because you get such excellent guests as I am the, the person that has not watched the movie that is not familiar with it. Yeah. Who has that new fresh experience and can maybe not, not so much blur the lines between somebody that I would call an expert and, um, the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So. No, I, I appreciate the fresh takes. I mean, yeah, these mm-hmm. films are presented as kind of worthy of our attention, kind of pulling one out of the mothballs from the past. And uh, yeah, it is good to have somebody who's just kind of plopping down and saying, okay, what is this movie about and what does this speak to me uh, here and now? Uh, David, I know you seem to have a pretty decent collection of Pilot. I saw one of your uh, Facebook posts, a pretty nice little catalog, maybe at least half of his uh, feature films. So tell me a little bit about your experience with this director. Well, yeah, uh, luckily, because um, as, as some of the listeners might be aware, I'm quite an avid uh, Masters of Cinema collector. And I uh, luckily, they did a set of seven of his films back in their earlier days on DVD. Unfortunately, they've never been upgraded or anything since, and they do seem to have all gone out of print. So a lot of his films are quite uh, difficult to come by at the minute in the UK which is really unfortunate because although they they are, can be a little bit uncomfortable at times, I think they are quite perceptive films and quite interesting in a lot of ways. And I think um, they, they should be more widely, wi- sorry, widely seen. Yeah. Um, my experience with him is I remember back uh, in Canada when I, in the 80s, he, he did several films in a row with uh, Gerard Depardieu as, as, as the star. Mm-hmm. And um, they were quite sort of um, uh, quite sort of popular hits on the art, art house circuit, if you will, uh, during those years. Um, and I think I recall seeing police uh, particularly on, you know, when it was shown on television uh, one time. But other than that, my experience of him wasn't, um, uh, wasn't uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience with uh, Pilat until uh, these Masters of Cinema DVDs came out in about sort of, what, 2008, 2009, I think mm-hmm. they came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the first time I, I was actually able to sit down and watch all the films through, uh, pretty much in chronological order, and I I do find every once in a while I do go back to to the odd one uh, here and there because I think they are really interesting films and they're the kind of things that you uh, you tend to every time you go back and watch them you get a little bit more out of them you mm-hmm. kind of pick up on different things and so they're they're quite good for uh, the occasional rewatch. Yeah, well, since you are. Yeah, I'm I'm somewhat well versed. I mean, I've seen the Criterion films as well as this one. Uh, there's a few shorts that he made in the '60s, kind of leading up to his feature uh, directorial career. But how would you kind of give us a little thumbnail sketch, kind of an intro to Maurice Pialat for maybe viewers who are either you know relatively familiar or maybe even brand new to his style of filmmaking? Yeah. Well, he, he he's quite interesting. I mean, this week, uh, obviously, in preparation for the show today, I've 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 been reading a few articles and uh, criticisms of his work and things, and a lot of people seem to compare him to people like John Cassavetes mm-hmm. and and things like that. But I think uh, the the main character uh, character of of his films, I think, is they have a very naturalistic style. They're almost kind of, they almost feel uh, documentary-like in, in just uh, sort of fly-on-the-wall uh, moments uh, of people 
uh, and their experiences. They don't tend to have uh, particular uh, story arcs. They, they tend to be just sort of little vignettes and little sort of uh, episodic uh, uh, things through uh, people's life, you know, their life at the minute. And so even though uh, apparently they are very uh, strictly scripted and he was uh, quite, um, uh, he was quite prepared in his style of filmmaking and he didn't really go in for improvisation and things like that too much. But the films very much have that feel. They, they have a feel of like literally, like I said before, just like a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. That you're you're sort of intruding on people's very private personal moments, uh, and and that's kind of the the main character that I would I would take through all of his films. Yeah, well, that's definitely what you get from these early films. Uh, L'Enfant's New, which I just rewatched the other night, and I also rewatched Anasa Moore, which again was from a later stage of his career. But you're right; they they do not present themselves with a lot of adornments. You know, there's no dramatic soundtrack music. In fact, I, I'm not sure there's any soundtrack music, um, you know, to speak of other than you know diegetic. If there's music playing in the scene, then you might hear something. Um, he doesn't really set up. A, any kind of a conventional plot with with dramatic tension and then resolution so that you've heard the story being told. Um, he doesn't seem to have any particular reverential uh, self-regard for cinema, which I think is a is one of the key aspects that separate him, separates him from the the new wave, you know Godard and Truffaut and and others who uh, in many cases were, uh, very delightfully and brilliantly paying homage to their own, uh, you know, cultural influences, their own love of cinema, and you know, cleverly incorporating quotes or kind of doing their own sort of French modern twist on some of the classic, uh, you know, scenes and and themes that they got from some of their favorite Hollywood movies and and favorite directors and all of that. Uh, you're right. He's he's very stripped down. He's very bare bones, and I think in that sense, he does seem to have kind of this uh, influence that may be exceeding his own personal name brand recognition and reputation. Uh, because I see a lot of that in sort of more recent and and you know uh, European cinema in particular, but another another types of cinema as well from from other nations where this the emphasis is on those more subtle moments, you know, kind of low key, um, explorations of how people respond to different types of circumstances, stressful circumstances in general. Um, and, and he just sort of leaves it at that. And so you think about, you know, French directors like uh, Bruno Dumont, Arnaud de Plechen, um, uh, who's the other one, Olivier Assayas, where yeah, they are basically just trying to give you that sort of uh, spectator experience uh not not quite as stylized in many cases um but just just really letting the natural rhythms of of life and relationships play out um and so he finds interesting situations to put us into characters with some depth and some complexity and then you know the conflict and the dramatic tension is there but it's not necessarily tied up in a bow at the end so that you know justice prevails or or there's any other kind of underlying message um it's just sort of a, a depiction of some of the uh, you know the, the realities of this world uh i think he seems to tend to focus more on sort of the grim or the downbeat aspects of life and I, yeah this and, and the yeah. flawed it is his central characters are always very flawed yeah. i think in a, in a sense yeah uh, but he doesn't really try to explain them or go into any sort of, you know, uh, typical uh, sort of um, uh, biographical explanations for why the people are like they right. are. He's just kind of showing them as they are. Yeah, somehow something in their past or their their environment has shaped them, but but he's not really interested in exploring that. There, there's no flashbacks. There's no historical, you know, backstory. It, it's all kind of in the moment. Uh, this movie, with with one notable exception at the very end, is all here and now. 
so Jason, let me just ask, you know, since you kind of sure. uh, volunteered your fresh take, <laughs> um, you know, this, I would take it, you know, watching this film and prep for this episode was your first exposure. Uh, have you seen any other P a lot besides this one then or not? Not yet. Okay. So what's your first take impression on the story? Did you have any preparation for it? Uh, you just sat down, popped it in and well, and what'd you think? You had uh, sent up a flare and asked if anybody would be interested. I, mm-hmm. Before I responded, I looked it up and I saw that he's often referred to or compared to uh, Cassavetes, yep. who is one of my top shelf directors. Sure. So I'm like, you know what? If if that's the comparison they're making, I'll give it a go. You know, and I was excited to to get it to put it in, uh, and then shortly uh, realized that excited was not the right place to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, because I think Cassavetes has a lot more of that dynamic to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some dynamic moments in this film, but yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, it's yeah. it's it, it, it. Interestingly enough, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, scenes from a marriage mm-hmm. when I was watching. Oh, yeah. I watched it again this morning, um, as well as some other of the French New Wave uh, style films. Just I like the absolute cold open oh yeah Yeah. you know and it's it feels real uh even it awfully uncomfortable in in many places and so there's it kind of like scrubbed the sheen off a little bit oh yeah yeah there there really is no gauzy uh you know romantic uh feel-good moment you you are right in the middle of a very conflicted relationship you don't even really know what it's about you just you see these two characters a man and a woman they're laying in bed obviously they're they're intimate on some level but there's also a lot of tension um there's a there's an emotional you know rift between them even as they're laying there in such close proximity and in you know a a fairly candid uh you know posture you know with the one thing yeah one thing i noticed on the second watch after having an experience of it was how you know 30 seconds into their conversation how he flips over in bed and just <laughs> yeah. like and dismisses her in the first 30 seconds of the movie um it was a lot more telling that second time through yeah so yeah especially now that you know the trajectory that they're yeah. already on um you know we're you know what 10 15 minutes into it now mm-hmm. um you want to give us just what what's what's this story about you know give us just that little kind of thumbnail sketch so i am going to pull up the character names because it's more Jean, yeah yeah oh go ahead yeah. no no I'm, I'm sorry i so you have uh jean who is a filmmaker um maybe a lower rung filmmaker has a lot of desire to do so um, his wife, Francois, and his, is that, yeah, and then Catherine, mm-hmm. his young lover that he spends the most, the majority of the film with. Um, and it's a breakup, makeup, breakup, makeup between John and Catherine. Um, and you could just see, and you could see his, his anger and, being tired of being an adult (laughs) yeah because like there's it's interspersed with scenes with francois family or catherine's family yeah yeah oh i'm bet yeah and it's i don't know it's just a melodrama Mm -hmm. without some of that extra fluff yeah, yeah. There's there's no mellow. There, <laughs> there's no melody. There's <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, yeah. But it, 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 it is. It, it, well, well, yeah. And 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 it's just it sort of strips away the gloss and the sheen. And I think that's what makes it somewhat unique. And perhaps that's why uh, it connected so strongly with French audiences of its time. I don't know that it had any kind of american distribution certainly not right off the bat maybe because uh it did have a, a con award-winning uh lead performance it probably got some circulation uh, but i i don't know that i see this as a film that would have connected you know very positively or popularly with american audiences so there's something 
very French going on here, if, if I can you know, <laughs> be that generalistic <laughs> in, in my, my assumptions. Um, because I, I, you know, th- to me, Jean, the, the lead character here, he is a, he's a, he's a gigantic man, baby. He's, he's mm-hmm. a kind of a repulsive character and especially in the sort of uh, social mores of our times uh, in the post me too era, or really just decent human beings treating each other with respect and courtesy you know it doesn't even have to be about <laughs> about uh you know post harvey weinstein and, and and uh second or third wave feminism or any of that type of stuff this guy is just a colossal jerk you know what i mean mm-hmm. i mean for one he's he's stepping out on his wife like majorly this is i mean she's got a some kind of an occupation where she's going off to russia um and interacting with people so she's gone for you know significant lengths of time pursuing her own career and interests he's a a documentary filmmaker working on assignments so he's got a pretext of being out of town for a week or two and and very conveniently can invite his his girlfriend along and uh you know they they have their times together and you also see pretty clearly that there's a significant age gap again he's a guy in his 40s uh it's made pretty clear that they've been together for 6 years she's in her mid 20s so presumably he met her and picked her up uh when she was still kind of in her late adolescence you know as a teenager and perhaps uh being young and and somewhat naive and easily impressed kind of fell head over heels for this guy and he's basically just been riding that uh you know the the fruits of that exploitation you know all along david let's get some of your thoughts on on just kind of how this story is presented how it develops uh you know kind of take it from there well well interestingly talking about first impressions um uh, jason's experience i i don't know why i had the impression but the first time that I, when I got this DVD and I put it in to watch it, I was under the impression that this was meant to be a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I had that impression whatsoever, but it was uh, quickly, completely blown out of the water and dissipated as as within the first sort of 10 minutes uh, on on his first explosive rage that he has and the horrible way that he treats this young lady. And um, the, the interesting thing about this film is it's really, um, like, like David, you described, the relationship was very much at the beginning, it seems, that she was this young girl who was impressed with this older man who was working in the film industry, and he had, I guess, uh, some, somewhat of a glamorous role. And... Uh, and then slowly over the course, and you kind of see it depicted in the film that the the kind of the the dynamics, the power dynamics of the relationship change throughout the film very slowly, very gradually. Uh, and uh, he says things like, "Oh, at the beginning, I didn't even love you," uh, but then when it becomes time, when suddenly she begins to get a bit older and a bit tired of the arrangement and wanting a bit more, uh, something more substantial in a relationship. And she gets sick of the way that he speaks to her and uh, responds to her. Um, Then you can suddenly see uh, his behavior start to change and he he becomes more, like you described, more uh, sort of childlike and uh, wounded and it's still very difficult to feel sorry for him uh, because uh, he's just not a sympathetic character at all. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting that this film was a, apparently uh, Pilat's, uh it was very autobiographical from his point of view. Like super like he, autobiographical. Yeah. Like this was his post-traumatic processing of a pretty devastating breakup that he went through again even though he was in the driver's seat from the you know all the traditional positions of power and authority and leverage i mean he's the man he's the older person he's got the you know he's not rich by any means and and i think that's another aspect here of how much was he maybe stringing her along or did she think she was on the ground floor with this guy who's you know destined for bigger and better things i mean if you 
think back to the you know early 60s when he's making these movies and i think i think this relationship went somewhere between like the early to the late 60s and he actually wrote a novel that this film was adapted from so uh, he was very much into <laughs> uh, kind of working out the details of his own recent history you know he he wrote it down novelized it and then used that as the basis for a second his second full-length feature film. And uh, just for a moment, I'll just say uh, L'Enfance New is about a young boy who's put into kind of foster care. And uh, it's just kind of a, a diary almost of his experiences going from one home to another and some of the misdeeds. And that, and that is a, a very great film. Oh, it, it really is way, astonishing. I highly recommend yeah. Uh, that. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I work in that type of field professionally. And, and uh, even though it's from decades you know when i was just a child myself uh, when those events would have taken but but it captures that whole dynamic uh with profoundly accurate realism so you know again he's looking at some pretty painful episodes but you know just the fact that he like a lot of new directors do put some part of their personal experience up front and center as one of their you know earliest feature films but this one here really does seem to um you know take a very uh, unflinching look not only at the at the pain and the you know anguish of of this relationship but of his own culpability in in mismanaging the whole thing he doesn't paint a flattering picture of himself and unless he's colossally lacking in self-awareness he has to be aware of the fact that a lot of people watching this are going to say what an asshole <laughs> <laughs> the way he well yeah you almost have to give him his dues for just being so honest yeah. and and forthright even about his own failings and his own uh you know flaws and uh you know uh, apparently um the actor uh which sorry john yon mm-hmm. uh, I, I wanted to make sure i said his name right who's terrific in this but apparently they they were at quite logger heads quite a lot of the time because he had such a hard time portraying this character because so often he was being asked to be such a bully and so unpleasant and and uncomfortable that I guess as a as an established film star in France he felt really really uncomfortable about even um, acting out these things and apparently that that was a real bone of contention during the filming yeah talk about tarnishing your on-screen reputation or your image you know i mean if you're presenting yourself as anything close to a matinee idol a romantic leading man or you know a likable character i mean you know imagine like a tom hanks or somebody like that (laughs) (laughs) taking on this role i mean because i mean let's just talk about some of the uh you know the particular conflicts i mean his, his rage just seems to constantly be lurking below the surface and is tripped up by the flimsiest of of provocations you know i mean uh i don't know any particular scenes that stand out to you um there's there's there is some domestic violence there's a lot of you know verbal aggression and hostility Uh, i mean it's it's pretty jarring at times it's quite interesting too i find um david that some of the like even the dynamics of the other relationships in the film are quite interesting because he's quite he's married to this other woman mm-hmm. uh but he's he's quite open uh, apparently about this relationship that he has with Catherine even to the point where he goes to to stay with her parents and yeah. things and you would think usually when people are having affairs i mean i i, I would assume that you don't tend to to go and meet the parents and things like that. And that, you know, it's just odd, but everyone just seems to accept this. And a lot of the behavior, there's an implication in front of her parents at one point that he struck her and that there is some, yeah, some bruising, uh, low level violence going on yet. They just seem to kind of shrug it off and go, uh, you know, well, you know, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Or, or just maybe they're just repressing or not wanting to deal with it um yeah how did that strike you jason when you, when you saw this kind of openness of the of a of blatant adultery and the young woman's parents are very aware of this i mean i don't know that what's your what was your um, response yeah my first thought was 
uh, as an ignorant American that that was very European. <laughs> um, yeah, could be because yeah. Of, and just from movies, you know, all over the mm-hmm. place. There's always the the guy that has the wife and um, the side piece. Um, yeah, you know, Trevor and I just did that episode on Fanny and Alexander, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the leads there uh, is a you know pretty pretty blatant womanizer yeah and and his wife just goes along with it now he's rich and and they're very well connected and she does not want to throw herself out of this comfortable situation but it it's 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 a whole nother level to have the the young woman's parents sort of in on it and they might give a disapproving glance to which Jean explodes because your father gave me a look (laughs) like well dude you've got a lot more than that coming but as I, it is, yeah. <laughs> I would, I don't want to say the word excuse, but I would excuse that as it's possible that their daughter said, this person is still going to give me my big break. Mm-hmm. Please don't do anything. He's, he's not a good person, but don't make a scene. Yeah. And they don't want um, to lose their relationship with her. And maybe yeah. they're just being, Hey, this is how it is. We got to deal with it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's abhorrent. Um, but it's, it, it, it kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first one that really popped out at me on my first watch was when he was filming on the street. Yeah. And yeah. she's holding a was, microphone and occasionally the yeah. mic maybe gets in front of the lens and so messes up the shot, but wow, and what a short fuse. Huh? That made me think that it's, he is, uh, documentary filmmaker that's on assignment and wishes that he was not just taking these gigs that he can actually follow through and make what he wants to make and which would satisfy that relationship and he just it does not surprise me that he would not be given the opportunity because if he's that way with strangers his bosses know that about him yeah, uh, impossible to work with. Very yeah. gruff, very reactive. Uh, you know, you show him a little bit of a, a disregard, and he's just going to go off on you. You know that. And again, this seems to have been Pialat's reputation as as a person, as a filmmaker, and several of the reviews and, and essays I've seen, which are again linked in the show notes. Uh, he he won a uh, Palm d'Or for a later film uh, under the Son of Satan from 1987, and because he had sort of been such a polarizing personality, he got some jeers and boos. Maybe people didn't like the film. Maybe people didn't like him. And right from the podium, right as he's re- accepting the reward, it's like you don't like me. Well, I don't like you either. You know, he's just like sassing back, and it's like, dude, can you have a little <laughs> a little grace here? I mean, this is a this is a crowning moment for you and you're you know you're you're getting petty like right there for the world to see so again he's wired differently and you know i i can't take away from his creative talent but it's just like wow what a, what a scene i i can say that all the masters of cinema dvds have quite um substantial extras like uh, interviews and uh, behind the scenes things and um analysis uh, and it is interesting to know that throughout all that stuff, there isn't uh, a single uh, outright positive thing that anyone really <laughs> says about him. <laughs> and I mean, that I just feel horrible even saying yeah, that because yeah. I'm sure it can't be true. Like, I mean, he can't, he can't have been such a horrible person to, to have uh, been able to even just uh, manage to get a film together and, and and work with people uh, on that level. He worked with Gerard Depardieu several times, so they they must have got on okay. But um, it just struck me that everyone described him as being very uh, irascible, very temperamental, very uh, argumentative, and um, uh, you know intransient in his uh, conversations and in his uh, discussions and. Um, so, and I, that just struck me as something, because usually, I guess we're used to, and we see in a lot of DVD extras when they have the little EPKs about, you know, people talking about what it was like to work with so-and-so, and they're always very glowing and mm-hmm. very positive. And so it was quite striking that everyone, uh, no one 
said anything particularly positive about it. Well, you know, and and certainly there are many stories of tyrannical directors, you know, at least when they're on set, when they're shooting and when everything, when all the pressure's on, they, you know, they take no prisoners. They, they put you on blast if you, you know, contradict them, et cetera. Uh, but you know, that's often balanced out, like you say, David, with, uh, you know, kind of some feel good stories or that's just how it is when they're working and you just got to know, know what you're dealing with here. But you're right. This seems to be more pervasive, like into, you know, even as non-working, uh, you know, corners of his life. I had read somewhere, uh, recently that when they were doing the DVDs, they tried to get him involved in doing an interview or something. And all he did was bad mouth every one of the movies. Um, wow. so yeah. they, the, 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 the author of the article was, wasn't saying whether or not he was doing that so that they could not include it on, as a feature or just that he right. was a curmudgeon. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like the person who's given the finger to the paparazzi so they can't print the photo or something like that. Uh, there, yeah. there's a great, um, clip on the end of, um, uh, what is it? His first film, uh, Na- naked youth that, um, there's a, a clip of an interview that he gave on French television just a couple of years after the film came out. And it is one of my all-time favorite sort of uh, extra features on anything because he's on this live television chat show and, and he just absolutely it seems miserable and like he just doesn't want to be there. <laughs> and he answers the questions in very sort of like, yes, no, and uh, and kind of are in a very argumentative style. Yeah. And it's just so, it's such a sort of car crash kind of uh, moment that I just love it. I think it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He's fulfilling <laughs> this obligation, but hating every minute of it, which is, yeah, it's just yeah. so, so unusual just because you know you think people make movies because they want to you know get in the spotlight you know and obviously making movies is a way of uh, scratching a creative itch it's a way of getting out something that you want to share with the world Uh, and uh you know there's a lot of lots of different reasons and motivations that people want to you know put themselves out there or share uh whatever message you know drove them to put a particular film you know uh, out there you know out on, on the screen but boy yeah yeah he does seem like one of the great misanthropes where his disdain for humanity uh goes beyond just you know curmudgeonliness and, and into something <laughs> deeper and, and darker and yet like i think you said david you know his films still seem you know worthwhile i mean we're we're maybe focusing quite a bit on his his, his character his personal life but i did yeah. find something compelling in all of this uh even and, and there is a lot of compassion i think that yeah. you can there's a seam of compassion that runs through all of his films which are one of the things that make them interesting. I think that he's just, he, he shows things in an unvarnished way and in an unsentimental way, but there, there is compassion for the characters. Even the Jean, the lead character in this film, even that we're speaking about, he's not, uh, he's not, uh, there's a, he has a lot of flaws, mm. but at the same time, you do still feel that, that uh, on some level, people must there must be a reason why people feel this way about him because even his his wife uh at the end of the film towards towards the end when the relationship is finally coming uh, you know it's on its last legs she, her, the Catherine's parents his wife they all kind of rally to him and help support him in a way and it's quite an, an interesting thing to see because they all clearly love him and they, they want to, uh, they don't want to see him hurt and upset um, despite his personality. Yeah. You know. There's, um, when I was doing some brief little research, I found a snippet by Richard Brody in The New Yorker. Uh, it says, for Pilar, the wolf is on the prowl, the feral lover, the artist is at home amid the deep-hued masculine muscularity of the countryside but also steeped in the free thinking ways and expressive ideals of the refined capital, which he shambles through like a wounded and wounding beast. 
That's a nice piece of writing and a great quote. So yeah. what, did, what did you think, Jason, as far as this idea that David throws out there about his compassion for the, you know, the, you know, the suffering, the, the plight, the, the uh, you know, just the, the struggles of life that uh, he's depicting in his characters? I, to me, that's the, the redemption of the film. Um, we can, we can recognize ourselves in a lot of these situations. Um, not necessarily as extreme in many cases, but you know, like, like you were saying, uh, it's clear that the people around him wanted him to succeed. And you could say that about everybody that the people that surround them are there because they love them and want them to move forward. Um, but sometimes we're just very hard at seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. There had to be something that convinced the people in his life, you know, to, to hang in there, even when he tells mm-hmm. them to, to fuck off or to, you know, get out of his face or uh, even, you know, as, as we see a little bit later on, he, he slaps Catherine around, you know, it's, mm-hmm. there's a moment where, after going through several of these, you know, breakups where he's just telling her off to her face, you're ugly, you've got rat's legs, who would ever hire you as a model? I mean, really that kind of personal lashing out, like, I'm just going to keep saying outrageous, stupid stuff until you cry. I really want this to hurt. You know, he's, he's really going there and uh, he wants to have, you know, a kind of a, an erotic moment with her. And she's like, you know what? I, I really don't feel like it tonight. I got to get up in the morning and you know, it's just, this isn't the right time. And he's just starts tearing her shirt off and smacking her around. It's like, that is so harsh. And, you know, as, as, as I think we've said, you know, we can maybe all relate to some of those frustrations. I mean, who's been in a relationship where, you know, you're just not on the same wavelength as far as sexual activity or whatever. And, and it kind of doesn't feel great when, you know, your partner says, you know what, this isn't the night and you've got to sort of, you know, ratchet down (laughs) and, and deal with that. But boy, to let yourself go to the point of physical abuse and, and verbal violence and all of that. It's like, I, I just cannot even visualize myself going there. So there's this gulf of distance between me and this character. Uh, That's yeah. good. But good, I yeah. Also, <laughs> I, I, without falling down the rabbit hole of excusing yeah. or excuses, um, there is a very distinct difference in time. Yeah. That yeah, of, of generation today, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. watching it after all the Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too stuff, this guy would be destroyed. Uh, yeah. yeah. As a filmmaker, as anybody in that business. Yeah. Um, but in the 1970s, again, this is not any sort of excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, that would not necessarily, I don't think that would be out of place. Well, right. And, and the fact is, you know, he seems to have been. Uh, you know, a, a, a good lover, a, a performer. I mean, that's kind of one of the appeals that, that even uh, Catherine expresses, you know, she likes making love with him. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, and you know, I, I had to laugh at some of the fashion statements where he's, you know, in the middle of the day, you know, his shirt is like four buttons loose, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> just, just above his navel showing off his hairy chest and all of that. And, and, you know, he, he's not, you know, like I say, he's not like a, a you know, a gorgeous, you know, Robert Redford type, but he has a certain swarthy charisma as a, as a man's man and all of that. And, uh, so, you know, there's, there is that kind of, uh, you know, that, that model of masculinity, um, which was very much in vogue. And I think on sort of the various sides of today's culture wars, there is still that voice out there for manly men to feel Mm -hmm. free to act out those impulses and expect the women to just put up with it. And, you know, that's maybe a debate for a different time and place. Sure. Um, but the, that, that, that conflict and that, that tension is there and it's depicted as, as something that he is somewhat entitled to and that the women in his life and women in the lives of other men like him just sort of have to factor in as like, well, if you want to have a relationship with a guy, this kind of comes with the territory. You know, mm-hmm. obviously those old understandings are being, renegotiated thought through in fresh ways. Um, but as a, as a guy myself, who's in a year, what, 37 of my marriage now, um, 
me and my wife are growing old together as a yeah. matter of fact and and we're committed to that and so yeah this is this is sort of a uh a, a, a road that for some people perhaps may feel pretty familiar i mean i i, I know from my own social work practice that there are many relations as well as life experience there are relationships out there that are a lot much more along that lines of volatility and mm-hmm. people saying things that boy if i was to say that to my wife or if she was to treat me like that it would be not only unthinkable but like how would you ever recover from that yeah or there's other people out there that these kind of things happen and and i think that's another kind of exceptional piece of filmmaking is that he you know it's the scenes that are left out between these you know i mean like you just hear one exchange that has got to be the last straw how could she ever go back to him how could they ever reconcile and the next scene bam they're just smiling and greeting each other for another get together we don't know if this has been a couple of weeks if it's the next day if it's a month or a year later and, and i like that i, I yeah. like that kind of depiction of of the uh, flightiness if you will of of human nature and how uh hard it is for us to even to to hang on and, and to to sort of stick to a a commitment or a statement uh because of i don't know if that perpetual fountain of of hope that it'll get better or what alternatives do i have or we've we've invested so much in each other we can't let it break up now i mean i think all of those dynamics are are on display here and that's sort of like the uh, modus operandi a little bit of the french new wave I had read somewhere that with his cuts, you, his jump cuts, you don't know if it's been five seconds, five minutes, or five months. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, if you watch this with a, a modern, you know, viewing strategy, it it would make no sense because it's the by the time they're on again, the the off again hasn't finished been said. Mm-hmm. So just it's 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 jarring for somebody that would not be prepared for that. Like me, the first time I watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think maybe I think, for younger viewers as well, just to see that kind of you know chauvinism mm-hmm. go pretty much unchecked in some ways. Go ahead, Dave. I think you had a thought there. Well, you remember you were asking at the beginning of the show about it, it's curious that this film was such a commercial success at the time, but I think the the uh, probably just because anybody on some level i mean like you say hopefully not on the, the exact level of of these two characters and certainly not him but everyone can identify with this the the being in these in a in a sort of a toxic relationship and not wanting to let go and all these kind of yeah. um things i think there's nobody who couldn't watch this film and as uncomfortable as it can be at times, there isn't anyone who can identify on some level with what's happening here. Yeah, unless you've been in and one think, relationship where everything's always worked out and then you've always <laughs> yeah, kind of well, seen yeah. eye to eye. You know, there might be a few people out there who've experienced that, but most of us, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Frankly, I mean, that'd be a boring movie. <laughs> sure. It, it would indeed. But this film is just so blatantly uh, honest yeah, as well. Yeah. Like there's just a real honesty uh, to it that uh, I mean I, I'm just trying to think of comparisons like maybe Ber- some of Bergman's kind of um, like scenes from a marriage and things like that might be on that same kind of level where where there's just a real sort of digging in really deep and being a fly on the wall yeah. uh, to to really show uh, just holding up a mirror to what relationships can be like uh, even on just you know um, on a basic level yeah even Bergman's films I mean as as searing as they can be and they often are there's also this sheen of artistry you mm-hmm. know uh, whether it's the cinematic you know uh, genius of Sven Niekvist uh, Bergman's you know very literary qualities as a scriptwriter, as a theatrical director and even the you know brilliance of of the actors that he recruits to to bring his characters to life Pilot really seems to just you know again strip all that away there's just kind of this minimalism that's going on there but at the same time some pretty powerful performances and and characters who are 
because I think Marlene Jobert, she she didn't win an award, but apparently she, her role was more, um, I've used the word eye candy, um, I, I use that to describe Susanna York, uh, as she kind of came up with the, the British film industry and showed her chops as an actor um, in images. Uh, I think Marlene Jobert really does quite an extraordinary job as well, because you're right, Jason, that, that, that there is a character arc for, for both of these leads as she's becoming a little bit more empowered, a little bit more mature and confident in herself and her willingness to stand up and say, I need to be treated with respect. And if you can't, and if you won't, I will find my own way through life and our relationship will be done and I'll move on. Uh, you're, and, and that's, that's exactly the outcome that uh, Jean, you know, I think is almost spends most of the movie trying to deny, like he pushes her away and he's, he's clearly trying to maintain the upper hand of control uh, as maybe as a man, that's what he thinks his, his role ought to be, or that's what he needs to be. If he's going to be a real man, he needs to be the guy calling the shots on on the cover of the Blu-ray that I've got, which I think was the, one of the original theatrical posters, there's a picture of him with dark sunglasses on and he's grabbing her by the bicep. It's mm-hmm. a very controlling, you know, hyper masculine, uh, image of, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping this woman in check. And, and, and this seems to be like a set photograph because there, the, the parallel scene in the movie never shows this image from that angle, but it's, it's where, you know, she's kind of coming back to him and, and, he pulls up in his car and she sees him and you can just see that look of kind of trepidation and fear on her face. Cause she knows she's in for it. He gets out of the car, grabs her physically. I mean, there's probably going to be, you know, fingerprints on her bicep because he's squeezing her so tight, sits her mm-hmm. down and, and they launch into another tirade there. But it's like, you know, in a, in a sense, if you can sort of step back from sort of what might be, you know, fairly offensive, uh, to, to many viewers, and, and rightfully so, I, I, I can also see sort of the trap that his own cultural expectations have set him up for. You know, this is how a real man treats a woman, and he's as much of a, a prisoner of that. I won't say he's the victim, uh, because he does, you know, still have the responsibility to understand that when you behave a certain way, it affects people, and you should pay mm-hmm. attention to their reaction and adjust accordingly. But uh, he's got all these toxic messages about what manliness uh, is supposed to be, and he's figuring out how to get away from that. And so the the resolution is that towards the end of the film, you see that he and his wife are going to try to reconcile. Uh, maybe he's sown his wild oats, and he'll be able to re-enter that marriage with some degree of contentment. But those final scenes, which is the one flashback of the movie, which kind of recap to a scene where uh, Jean and Catherine are kind of frolicking in the ocean. Uh, he's having that memory of her and that's kind of the fade out of the movie. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a a strong kick there because you know he's going to be carrying those memories with him the rest of his life. Mm. You you um, mentioned about the lack of artifice and the, the, the kind of stripped down nature of the film, but that ending is quite poetic yeah. in a way. And it's kind of the only one of the few instances in his films where you see that, yeah. that the, with her kind of floating off in the ocean. And you can see that, that the, 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 uh, the uh, that big ocean between him and his memories and his, uh, you know, his desires and and all his regrets and everything, are all really beautifully tied up in that, in in those images at the end of the film. Yeah, yeah, her and all of her youth and her beauty, the vibrancy. I mean, his his wife Francois, she's a very attractive woman herself, but she's older, she's more sure, and he's probably gotten bored of her or there's just something that's not quite clicking between the two of them again this is far from a a, a novelty or, or a, a new discovery but a lot of men in middle age find themselves attracted to women half their age and i probably mentioned that type of dynamic and at least a third of all the podcasts i've ever done <laughs> <laughs> between godard and bergman and all yeah. the other great directors who find themselves uh you know in, in that type of circumstance themselves it's it's the the 
the material for some great, great filmmaking, among other things. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, any other thoughts as we kind of wrap this up? I mean, I definitely recommend viewers get familiar with this guy. He, he, you know, and again, some of the show notes, uh, links talk about the impression that he made on the, the succeeding generations of French filmmakers who kind of took their cues to show this kind of unvarnished, unblinking uh, depiction of reality. Not always. I mean, there's definitely still a room for the cinematic flourishes of escapism and, you know, uh, images that kind of bring us into another world. And certainly that's what we see a lot of in, in the big blockbuster cinema of the last, you know, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, but but that that cinema that really wants to hone in on the um, the the struggles, the dramas, the tensions of of life as we experience it, it seems like Pilat was really kind of advancing cinema toward a, a purer ability to to focus in on that. Uh, again, with Cassavetes, you have that kind of explosiveness and that that kind of almost theatrical method acting type of stuff that was going on mm-hmm. again the, the movies are, are very profound and very powerful and very affecting uh but they do feel a little bit hyped up in comparison to what we see Piot doing here uh and so i i feel like yeah he's he's an important forerunner even if his films um don't necessarily deliver the goods in that kind of uh leave them smiling as they go or or even as uh as maybe cinematically accomplished as, as you know, the Bergmans and, and other kind of art house giants. I want to kind of piggyback off of something you said a while back um, about how he would have met her as you said something like post adolescent. Yeah. She's like probably uh, 19 young, years old. Yeah. Right, right, right. Meeting somebody with some level of power in the film industry mm-hmm. and falling heads over heel. And he is a jerk. Um, (laughs) This is very like, I don't know if you've had a chance to see the film red rocket yet. It just came out. No, it's, it's on my short list there. Hopefully Um, I'll have a chance to check it out soon. It's kind of like that. So red rocket would have been the initial meeting. Okay. Yeah. And coming into this is, as we move forward in their lives, Um, that was the, an unexpected tangent. That was that, I think would be interesting for people to see. It's also difficult to watch. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, that's cool to draw a connection to a very current happening mm-hmm. film that's uh, just entering broad release right now. So cool. Thank you for dropping that one in there. Sure. Uh, David, any final comments before we uh, close this one down? Oh, well, absolutely. I would definitely recommend to listeners that you, you try and seek out these films and see them. Uh, unfortunately, certainly in the UK at the moment, because uh, all these Masters of Cinema uh, DVDs that I've dug out uh, this week to to um, get prepared for the show, they're all out of print. To, to my knowledge, none of these films are available on any of the streaming services in the UK, uh, certainly not the mainstream ones. So I'm not quite sure at the minute how people in the UK could get hold of these films to see them, you know, unless they want to come over to my house. Uh, <laughs> viewing party at Sealy's. Uh, call, right? please call first. Of course. <laughs> um, I don't know. How much do you, you know, how much reach does Kino Lorber have over in the UK and Europe? I mean, because they, I think most of the major Pilot films are available on Kino Lorber editions, and, and that's how, where I got yeah. my Blu-ray. Well, unfortunately, Kino Lorber, they, they only, um, uh, to get a hold of them here, you have to import okay. them, you know, via, via Amazon or mail order. And they tend to be, even though they're, they're, they're relatively inexpensive in the States, uh, is the impression I get. But, yeah. but to get them over here, the, the, it's, it's a little bit cost prohibitive. Okay. Yeah. They do a um, lot of half off sales on this side of the, of the ocean. So, uh, I'll give yeah, a- I have I've always hoped that Masters of Cinema was going to reissue them on Blu-ray. It would be ideal if they could get them together in a in a box set really. That would be the ideal thing. Yeah. 
They um, they have released one other of his films on Blu-ray, which is Van Gogh, which is one of, I think it's his last film or his next to last film. Yeah. And uh, so that one, as far as I know, is still available. Um, and, it, and it's definitely worth seeking out as well. But, um, sorry, sorry, you go ahead, Jason. I was going to say it's on Prime. I don't know if it's region locked there. Oh, yeah, well, to be honest, I haven't looked at because I, I have this perception yeah. of Amazon and Netflix That's that they, they don't, you know, the, the films may be available on there for rental or something. I have no idea. They might be available on BFI Player. I, I don't subscribe to BFI Player anymore, um, but they may well have some of the films on there. I, I can't say for you. But I, would, I guess I would just say to listeners is that see, seek these films out. They, they, all of his films are great. I would definitely, uh, my highest recommendation would go to his very first film, which is called Naked Childhood, which uh, we talked a little bit about earlier. It, it's such a, a great film and, and very moving and, and powerful. And uh, I would also recommend the film that he made after We Won't Grow Old Together, which is called The Mouth Agape which is a film about uh, terminal illness, basically, and, and how that affects uh, the people and the family and, and uh, how they come to terms with that. And it is, uh, again, it's not like, a, it's not a happy film. It's, it's uh, somewhat uncomfortable, but, but very deeply moving and, and um, uh, worth uh, experiencing, I think. Uh, so I would recommend people just try and look out these films and if anyone from masters of cinema happens to be watching please please just <laughs> do, do some upgrades man yeah all right well maybe i'll do a little <laughs> bit of a search of, of how to find plf films and put a link in the show notes on that one it as well just where to track like this guys down there is a french blu-ray from gamont um that is region free and it does have english subtitles Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, I wasn't aware of that, so there you go. All right. I mean, I know, uh, uh, yeah, I think Blu-ray collecting and things is has become a bit out of fashion, unfortunately, but uh, uh, for some people, but I would say it's it's worth looking out for these films. Excellent. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I definitely feel like he's... Uh, you know, and and he's got a a manageable body of work. You know, I mean, you may not want to binge these things back to back. I mean, from Ooh, I say, you know, <laughs> no. abused, traumatized yeah. youth to spiteful, nasty breakups <laughs> to terminal illness, <laughs> and corrupt police, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, all sorts. Yes, yeah, but... even the tragic story of Vincent Van Gogh, and and uh, you know the the hard hard times that he had to go through. So, but anyways, uh, it's it's a window on a world that we do want to stay aware of, and and. Uh, in touch with so guys it's been a good conversation uh, yes. thank you for walking me through this and i definitely want to lay that recommendation out to listeners to uh check it out maybe criterion will bring that bundle back or some version of it uh somewhere down the road so all right well for now we're going to get back to uh our next episode is going to be the ruling class uh, starring peter o'toole back to a dvd only release from criterion collections early days in that format That'll be coming up soon, but for now, thank you for listening in, everybody. We'll be talking to you very shortly down the road. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for having me. All right. All right. See you. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.